All right, welcome to the second episode of the Vibe Hour podcast. I'm your host, Logan. I am here with my friend, Kyle. And before we get into it, don't forget, grab grab something cold to drink, grab some snacks, and enjoy the vibes. So, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good today, you know. Just uh, finished a nice bike ride over here, and beautiful sunny day outside today, so no complaints here. How are you feeling from uh, last night? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite the night last night. <laughs> you know, felt a bit sick this morning, but it uh, seems to be cleared up now with some water, so seem to be good to go. Wow. So, yeah, last night, uh, it was his birthday, so we went out a little bit. Actually, when unexpectedly we're extras in a music video yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it was super cool like just these guys in like spacesuits and they're like <laughs> dancing around and i just went up to the camera guy i'm like do you need any extras and he's like oh go talk to the director so i talked to the director and the director's like yep you stand here you stand here and just kind of cheer them on a bit but it's just super fun you just don't never know what Anything can happen, I feel. That's a great mm-hmm. way to look at life. Anything can happen. Uh, absolutely, and you know, you never know. You're just going to a nightclub and you just run into a guy filming a music video. Like, what's the chance Even of that? Even the bartender said it was pretty random. Yeah. I think they were just chill with it because it was a slow night. Yeah, it was like completely empty. So, so they had no problem with it. But apparently, I don't think they bucked that space like well in advance. I think the bartender said they just came up and said, Hey, can we shoot a music video here? But, anyways, um, I kind of always like to do, um, fun, fun segments on my podcast. I didn't have anything really planned, um, but one of the things I sometimes like to do, which is fun, is look up just, like, funny text messages. Mm -hmm. So I guess we could read a few of those, um, because it's good to have some, like, jokes, I feel, um, in a podcast too. So funny texts. Um, I remember this one I read, it was pretty funny. Um, it was, uh, you might have seen it, but it was, um, uh, your, your aunt, uh, mom texts her son, your aunt just died. LOL. And the kid's like, why is that funny? It's like, it's not, what's wrong with you? It's like, do you even know what LOL means? And the mom's like, yeah, lots of love. <laughs> so, it's just, it's funny. Or, um, oh, there was one. Oh, I don't know if I can share it on the podcast. I think I could. I don't know. Um, what was it? Um, yeah, it was just funny. Um. What do you like to do for, like, where do you get your laughs from? Do you just look where up? Where do I get my laughs from? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes it's just hanging out with your buddy, and they just say something really weird, and you're like, <laughs> that's funny, and it's, it can be a good time, or some some comedy channels, but it's never really been my, my thing. Never really been a huge guy for, like, jokes and stuff. I mean, I really? only just got into memes. Oh, wow. I'm always um, the the guy who's the clown, who's the co- comedian in the group a lot. I like telling jokes and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, sometimes it's just from, you know, trying a really stupid thing and failing really hard <laughs> and telling the story a hundred times and exaggerating it more every time you tell it. Be like, that that shark that tried to eat us, it was a hundred feet long now. There were, um, I texted my mom, I got an A in chem. She said WTF. <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, do you know... Um, Mom, what do you think WTF means? Well, that's fantastic. But yeah, if I texted that to my parents, they would mean, what the fuck? <laughs> Same. You know, that's just common knowledge. I mean, it just goes to show that uh, abbreviations aren't always the best way to communicate. And how maybe you should, if you really want to get your point across, you should be using the full word. Oh, yeah. But, that, I mean, this is just a funny text. So obviously uh, they're probably fake, but... For sure. But... It's still funny to look at some of these things. For sure. I mean, sometimes just what people get up to, you know, it's you question your sanity sometimes by just looking at these crazy texts that people have, you know. And you ever send any funny texts to anyone? Um, definitely. I mean, not too much. The funniest thing would be. The document that my friend sent to the school counselor in grade 12 called Rainy Day. <laughs> definitely a funny meme. It was definitely a laugh. I literally could not stop laughing for like f four hours after school, <laughs> after the cop pulled us out of, pulled us out of class. Um, yeah, I haven't sent that many funny texts. I've heard of people getting funny texts, like some of my work was said that their dads sent a text to them, you forgot your phone at home. His <laughs> 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 parents. But, yeah, anyways, um, let's just get into discussion. Um, like I said in the last episode, by the time you're listening to this, the first episode's out, so I will be not, in the next episode, I will be probably talking about the feedback we got from that episode, but... Um, yeah, we're still trying to figure this out. There's no video today because of technical difficulties, but I'm hoping to get the uh, video up and running soon. So that's just a little disclaimer for everyone out there, but yeah. So first question in the discussion, um, and we're going to be talking about forestry, wildlife, climate change, a little bit of everything um, in regards to the environment, so it should be fun. Anyways, can you tell us about your background and how you became passionate <laughs> about wildlife and uh, and conservation? Yeah, so I grew up and my dad, he works for the Ministry of Forests. If you don't know what that is, that's like the government, bran uh, the branch of the government that's responsible for like forest management mm. in out BC where we are from here in Canada. Yeah. Um, so they're responsible for setting allowable cuts. They're responsible for making sure all regulations are followed on crown land, which is, you know, uh, provincial land that is managed by the provincial government, which represents about 90% of all land across the province. So my dad, he was really obviously really passionate about, about the forests and growing up, he always would take us out camping and fishing and all through the woods and just teaching me about trees and, and how different things worked. So that kind of got me passionate. And then moving forward, I uh, started a diploma in forestry and uh, VIU, so Vancouver Island University. Um, and I just finished that uh, just uh, in April of this year. So that was really cool and helped uh, me just uh, like learn a lot more. Definitely an eye-opening experience last summer working for 
forestry consultant on the mainland and seeing how operational forestry is, you know, not always portrayed the best in the public view. So seeing how it actually works behind this behind the scenes that maybe most people don't see, you know, and, and moving forward, I still not sure that a career in forestry is necessarily for me, but um, I definitely have a lot of knowledge and can bring that forward as well. Um, what are like some of the main challenges faced in preserving and managing forest ecosystems? Yeah, so a lot, a lot of the main uh, problems is just competing interests and values. There's a lot. There's only limited supply of land, and uh, everyone wants different uh, values from that land. Like even different animal habitat is going to need different forest characteristics. Um, so you might manage for say deer habitat. It's going to be completely different from bear or from moose or caribou or you know bighorn sheep or or uh, Vancouver Island marmot. Everything is going to be managed in a different way, right? So, you know, you have conflicting interests. You, obviously, you want to manage for top priority ecosystems. So ones that are like the most endangered species first. If you can, that's going to be the best priority. But, you know, there's a lot of competing interests where we've got logging companies that want to make a profit. We've got communities, uh, groups that want to see recreational values maintained. We've got the public that wants to see old growth maintained. We've got all kinds of different competing values and uh, on the landscape, and that makes you know making the right choice if there even is one, or you know preserving the ecosystem, even defining what it means to preserve the ecosystem is mm -hmm. quite challenging because you know what is what does a healthy ecosystem like what does that look like? Well, it really varies depending on what kind of forest you're talking about or what kind of uh, ha animals you want to have living in there. Are we talking about total diversity of total species or, you know, number of individuals of a few species like that, you know, what are we even, you know, talking about? You know, we also got the threat of urban development spilling into our forests, uh, clear cutting of, you know, um, forest to completely change the landscape from a forested ecosystem to uh, housing development or uh, new farming, new farms and stuff as our population continues to rise. So, there's a lot of different threats and a lot of different priorities out there in the land. Just you know, just a limited supply. Hmm. I definitely feel like you said with um, residential areas and stuff. I feel like they're taking away our greenery because even the new uh, apartment complex being built up here by where I live, they're cutting down trees and stuff to build, and they're getting rid of our nice greenery around the uh, the area. Mm, yeah, for sure, and that that just goes to show that. Uh, we need to start building more denser development in order to uh, move people into smaller areas so that the impact on the total land is lower. Even though like, you might think that low density, there's lots of green space, most people tend to just have like grass and a few shrubs, and it's definitely far from a natural ecosystem state. It's best to kind of move people closer together and then... Uh, have public a lot more green space surrounding the city that uh, has less you know less disturbance running through it to keep our uh, forest intact it's better to you know infill our cities with new development uh, where there's maybe a vacant lot that already has been cleared instead of going out into the forest and cutting down new trees keeping as much of the forest intact and building everything you have with that's already been disturbed to the highest um, 
amount, you know, possible to preserve that habitat. And also, it's just like, um, that's what I like about where I live is because I'm surrounded by trees and stuff. I don't like the super... I'm... I like living, like I'm not in the outskirts of town, but I, I like being surrounded by trees and be a little bit more, um, having lots of greenery around me and not just like shrubs and bushes, like you said, kind of your, uh, city lots, mm. I like. Yeah, so I think that there should be more requirements for like apartment development or housing development to maintain as much greenery around their buildings as possible, um, just for shade purposes. And, like, you know, just to keep the green space there, like, keeping, like, you know, we dedicate a lot of space to parking lots and and stuff, and that's, if we can, you know, add trees to those parking lots and line them with trees, that may increase the green space or whatever, but, you know, we also got to make sure that any trees that we have are going to be the right species, so making sure that instead of just going out there and being like, well, we have cedar here already, we'll just leave these cedar, well... The climate here on Vancouver Island is changing. Cedar is starting to die off due to drought. So, you know, it's been, we've been suffering um, stage 5 drought here, the highest mm. level here this summer. So that's having a major impact on our forest ecosystems throughout the uh, east coast of Vancouver Island here. So making sure that the tree species that we have, that we maintain, are the most drought tolerant. So if we're going to be cutting any trees to make room for development taking the ones that are the most susceptible to that drought and leaving ones that may be more uh, able to uh, maintain that kind of... So that we're not just, you know, leaving a bunch of trees that are just going to die within five years or three years or whatever that may be. Mm. And also, like, forest fires throughout the summer are getting rid of a lot of ecosystems. Yeah, so forest fires happen to be a natural part of our environment, so... There's a lot of ecosystems that are fire dominated, which means that trees actually and the ecosystem requires fire to regenerate itself, or in some cases, it's it's an it's a necessary part of that ecosystem. Um, and when we, as human beings, we've been suppressing wildfires for a hundred years, so what happens is that naturally we would get a lot of low intensity wildfires going mm. through. So it would burn down the dead trees and the dying trees. And the, the ones that are more healthy, they have thicker bark. They all tend to survive those low-intensity fires. Well, what happens when we put out every single fire that comes through the landscape? Well, you know, now we've got a massive, massive amount of fuel that when a fire does come, it's not going to be that low-intensity fire. It's going to be one of these mega fires, and it's just going to rip right through. Mm-hmm. So instead of having frequent but somewhat low-scale fires we're getting really high intensity fires coming through that are just devastating to that ecosystem and that's partly a forest management problem as much as it can be attributed to warmer temperatures obviously that helps but poor forest management can obviously if you're having too much fuel in the landscape your plantations are too dense there's too many trees you're not allowing small uh, scale fires to go through that's going to be detrimental to the uh, forest. It's not going to be healthy, right? So you got to think about that too. It's climate change. Obviously, it's playing a role. Hotter, drier summers, but there's other factors, right? About increased fuel from dense plantations or the conversion of uh, Douglas fir uh, 
plantations over to pine as uh, lodgepole pine tends to be easier to establish um, after logging so they'll tend to um, plant that instead just so that they can uh, if the site is suitable obviously not every site but that it does happen where they tried Douglas fir is just really hard to get established so they'll plant pine afterwards while the pine is going to be burning a lot more than the Douglas fir which has thicker bark and you know that that all plays a role into what's going on it's not just saying that climate change is causing more fires well maybe not uh, there's is actually a thing that the number of fires has been decreasing mm-hmm. but the amount of hectares burned by each fire has increased so we're getting fewer fires but the ones that do happen are on a much much larger scale than what we may have seen in the past i mean that's obviously it's not represented across the whole province different forest types and different uh, fuel types and different types of environments where we have lightning or there's human caused fires or it's going to be you know quite varying across the landscape but hmm. There's lots of human-caused fires, I've heard, just from, like, cigarette butts and stuff, and, like... Yeah, so that's obviously the worst-case scenario, right? It's uh, mostly around urban environments. It's in areas that probably are going to burn a lot more frequently because they're close to that human-urban interface where there's interactions between a lot of humans and the the, uh, forest, so that's where you're going to get... You know, you could get fires going through there much more frequently just because mm. humans are going to be causing them, right? So, and the ecosystem may already be stressed in those areas as well because, you know, you've got roads going through, you've got you've got disturbance from people walking over the trees' roots, which could cause disturbance, or you've got um, changes in drainage patterns as a result of roads and trail networks and that kind of thing as well, which can change the water pattern, stress the trees, and so on, depending on, you know, what you've done. If they, I mean, they try their best to maintain natural drainage, but, you know, let's face it, if you're building a housing development, you're not going to be able to maintain natural drainage. You're going to get water where it didn't go before, which is going to stress the trees, and Mm -hmm. that in itself will make them more susceptible to fire because they're going to be stressed. Stress trees tend to burn a bit easier, Mm. Um, and then also, you know, you've got dying trees um, as a result of those uh, changes in drainage patterns where once there might have been a lot of water, now it's dried up, while that tree that was relying on that constant supply of water is now dying of drought, so you got to take that into account as well. It's, you know, climate change plays a significant role, obviously, but it's not the whole picture. There's a lot more going going on out on the landscape than just climate change and it's a lot it's really complex and most of us can't even begin to really comprehend or understand all the forces that are going on out there and also yeah just like climate change and um not getting enough rain we're getting not enough rain to kind of keep keep the ground wet to prevent more fires from starting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, uh, lack of rain is certainly part of it, but I mean, in order for a fire to start, it needs an ignition source, so just drought on its own isn't likely to cause an increase in fires, necessarily. Uh, The main causes of fires are humans, cigarette butts, campfires, arson, um, ATVs, um, 
sparks for motor vehicles and trains or from lightning sources. Mm. So the lightning source may come with rain or it may not, but a drought that doesn't come with rain in an area that has no people and nobody is going out there, probably not going to get it really going to get an increase in fires just there's no ignition source mm. but if you get dry conditions you're close to town you've got lots of people recreating out there they're smoking and and all that you know that's that's where you're going to get into trouble and the cigarette butts not just bad for the wildfire situation you know they're uh, a litter right uh, mm. they leach toxic chemicals into the ground um, they are plastic, which breaks down into microplastics. So that's obviously not good uh, in itself. So, I mean, educating smokers and, and just the general public to not throw their butts out and just keep them with them. Obviously that's going to be a big help for not just mitigating the forest fire situation, but you know, aren't, we got a plastic crisis out there. There's, you know, a lot of garbage is getting thrown into the environment and mm. microplastics are even getting into our food now. So oh, yeah. it's something else to keep in mind, you know? And also, um, do you see like climate change affecting the wildlife population? Yeah. So, uh, uh it will oh, definitely like there's an effect. Um, uh, you can see that with, uh, the salmon, being a big one with the lack of rain in our rivers. I'm a fisherman myself. And so, you know, I've, we've been waiting on uh, up in the Campbell River, just north of here where we are in Nanaimo. There's, the, the river is so low right now that uh, the pink salmon are just not coming into the river right now and uh, waiting for the rains to come up before they move up the river to spawn. And obviously this could have a detrimental effect if the water are too warm well, and too low, the salmon, they're not going to come up and spawn, or the ones that do are going to be too stressed and likely to die um, prematurely before they, they finish their life cycle. So, I mean, there's lots of other animals that are affected by climate change. I mean, some may, in fact, be positively uh, affected, but uh, that's, again, there's probably more, there's definitely more losers than there are winners when it comes to the climate change situation. Uh, and it really depends on where you are in the world too, right? We're going to be seeing some southern species expand in their range uh, if they're uh, just because that kind of climate is expanding, and we'll see the de uh, the shrinking of northern populations as the you know northern part of the globe uh, warms at faster rate than compared to the rest of the planet as well. So, do you think the climate change and the forest fires are the reason why we're seeing more wildlife in the cities? Like deer and more just like getting chased out of the forest to more city areas? Uh, I wouldn't agree with that statement at all. I think the reason why there's more deer and animals in the city is that the we have encroached on their habitat, you know. Uh, every time we mow down a new forest for an uh, apartment block or a subdivision, that forest used to be home to those animals and now... Well, that's where they're used to being. They are going to continue to be where they mm. have known to be, and we're encroaching on their habitat. It's not that, and it's not just development and you know logging. They're scared off by heavy machinery, and and they've learned to adapt to city life to an extent. I mean, it's still a cities are a dangerous place for wildlife, 
deer may survive in the city, but a lot of them get hit by cars. Um, the sad reality is, is that drivers are just whatever. They're not paying attention. They're driving too fast. Mm. They're deer are on the road, and animals and humans should, you know, cities shouldn't be the best, most attractive place for wildlife habitat to be, you know. If we've destroyed their habitat, we need to go out there and create close-by habitat that's better than what they lost, and I just don't see that happening out there, you know. We, we destroy habitat, and we don't replace it with anything, or we don't even try, or we don't, we could create urban parks or more greenaway and, and, you know, animal corridors through our cities with, you know, that are a few hundred meters or even a kilometer width and run across the whole city to provide uh, wildlife to be able to move efficiently through the city in order to reduce that, you know, interaction with cars and, and vehicles. That's also good for people, you know, with that green space can be used for active transportation corridors with cycling or walking. Um, and it gives a chance for, you know, urbanites to see different wildlife that they may not see otherwise. Mm. Um, keeping that, you know, the goal of cooling your city as well, providing that shade for people to go and escape the heat outside. It's kind of a win-win for everyone. I just don't see enough cities doing these kind of projects, but kind of, you know, that would be a great, a great uh, project for cities to take on and, you know, increasing the habitat if, Areas are underdeveloped and there is no plans for future development in those areas, then, you know, restoring them back instead of just leaving them as, you know, uh, paved or, you know, we tend to get a lot of invasive species in cities. Uh, in Nanaimo here, we have huge problems with Scotch broom and Himalayan blackberries and a lot of invasive plants and, you know, remediating that back trying to prevent the spread, you know, that's another thing that we can try to do. Um, but yeah, like most importantly for our cities is just increasing the amount of greenaway space. But it's not just greenaway space, you know, it's making sure that the public has access and there's, if people go to these places and they care about them, then they're going to try to make it, you know, keep it uh, nice going forward. and. Uh, be responsible in those areas, you know, fostering that sense of, I am proud of this park, or I want to see that, you know, park with native species thriving and no garbage and no pollution in that no. area, yeah. But that's just never going to happen. I think people are going to ever adapt to that. Well, I think people are already starting to adapt. I think with the pandemic, a lot of people have started to go outside a lot more. Hmm. And uh, parks, you know, just Nanaimo has, I read a stat the other day that Nanaimo has grown by, uh, the park system here has grown by like 300 hectares in the, since 2018, so hmm. in the last five years. So that's like around 20% growth in the in the city's park system. And that's, that's really beneficial to preserving the natural environment, you know, uh, making sure that greenaway space that does exist in cities is uh, public property because if it's private, it can be, if it's often faces higher disturbances, mm. more invasive plants, and just more garbage and pollution in general. So there's a lot to a lot to talk about here. Um, 
Try to find more questions. Um, some of these seem like kind of just like the same <laughs> sort of things. Um, like, you said you were like interested in um, like city planning and stuff, right? Yeah, so I, I started realizing with my f- career in forestry that if we want to save our forests and save our green spaces, we have to revolutionize how we plan our cities, especially here in North America. Car-centric infrastructure, that is incompatible with a lot of public green space. Mm-hmm. Uh, parking lots take up more space in our cities than actual development you know, like actual uh, stores or houses or, you know, stuff that's producing uh, rev- tax revenue to the government or providing somewhere where the, uh, some people with place to live is actually taking up more space in our community than, or is actually taking up less space, rather, uh, than the parking lots. So, you know, providing, you know, getting people out to walk, that. You know, when people are walking and outside, they're going to be appreciating the nature be- and they're going to want, you know, nice, safe streets to walk on with- lined with trees and green spaces instead of just paved asphalt and wide streets. So that's how we need a, a redesign of how we go about planning cities because the status quo is just destroying way too much land and causing way too much disturbance. So we just need to rethink of how we do things around here and... A couple things to think about when it comes to getting people walking places. Well, that's the quality and safety of infrastructure for walking. So is there a sidewalk? How fast are vehicles are traveling? Um, and, you know, also how far uh, where you want to go is is from your house. So if things are closer together, well, it's more convenient to walk there. If they're hmm. far apart, it's less convenient to walk. More people are going to take their car. The, third, the other one would be the public transit. Oh, yeah. More co- frequent and convenient public transit if it's with priority signals for buses um, and other transit, you know, grade-separated transit like LRT or uh, uh, subway lines that aren't impeded by the flow of vehicle traffic. That's another one that's going to be huge to get people out of their cars, you know, you can't get people out of their cars. You know, the only solution to traffic congestion is to build viable alternatives to driving. So that's the only way we're going to be able to reduce the amount of parking spaces and the amount of uh, just unnecessary pavement. As it is right now, a lot of cities in North America and here in Nanaimo, they have it. There, any development that happens in the city is required to build a certain amount of parking spaces depending on the type of business or the type of development that happens. Mm. So what happens is, say for example, you wanted to build a shopping mall. Well, now you're required to build, say, I think in Nanaimo, for example, it's one parking space for every 200 square feet of the mall. Mm, Wow. So you're building an amount of parking spaces where 90% of the time, um, a lot of them are going to be empty. We're building them for absolute peak demand time here, which is unnecessarily, uh, you know, destroying ecosystems that otherwise could have been forested just by having arbitrary parking requirements everywhere. It's not to say that if you got rid of that, you would still have parking, obviously. People need to drive. Lots of people have valid reasons to drive. But there's a lot of trips that people take by car now that could be taken by public transit or cycling. And, you know, people... 
have to realize that cars should be our tool. They're necessary for some people, but for the most part, if we can get trips away from cars where people don't need them and into other modes that are taking up less space, that's obviously a benefit for the trees and for our environment. But that's not just for the environment. Parking spaces are really, really expensive to build. Mm -hmm. They take up valuable land that could be used for other uses. They reduce taxable uh, taxable revenue and cost a lot to maintain. And free parking is pretty much, you know, it's not free. People have to pay for that parking, you know. It's included in the price that you go to the store. And people who don't want the parking or don't even drive are still paying for that space. You know, Strong... um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, In the U.S., they have this organization called Strong Towns. They've been advocating for the removal of parking minimums to get, you know, people to... And trying to showcase just how expensive parking can be. Like an underground parking spot in a parking garage could cost as much as $60,000 or more. Wow. uh, Depending on the size and depending on the type of terrain you're building that parking space in. So Mm. that's another thing, right? And just the car-centric infrastructure, as we see, the more roads you have to build, well, that's more maintenance costs. So that's higher taxes. That's higher... That's a decrease in other services because now we're only being able to fund the streets. So, you know, just the the cost of the development style that we have here is just unsustainable never mind from the environmental standpoint you know like concrete and pavement doesn't water doesn't drain very well off of it it doesn't nat- naturally uh, drain properly it contributes to climate change by adding to the urban heat island effect which you know um, it can be up to five or six degrees cooler in outlying areas away from cities just because of asphalt it reflecting the sun and heating the ground more as you're getting more direct sunlight onto the ground mm. um, you know just the simple thing of putting your park uh, making your parking lot surrounded by trees and having trees on the islands and having trees next to your buildings super important to keep your city cool in the long term because you know air conditioning is are great right you know everyone maybe not everyone here in Nanaimo has air conditioning but that is having a carbon impact. So that's contributing to climate change. So, you know, yourself keeping cool is actually contributing to the planet being warmer and you needing to use more of your air conditioning. So there's kind of that that whole thing, right? You know, planting a tree, it may not be tall enough to provide shade today, but in 20 years, you know, you're going to be shading out your, your house and it can even reduce heating costs in the winter by ins- by providing insulation as well. Um, some some documented effects of this have, have been brought in a study that a uh, research project I did in school. Um, but you know it's there's a lot of different stuff going on, right? You know you've got the 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 problem is complex, right? How once we built all this infrastructure, how are we supposed to change it to the better, right? Once we have these massive parking lots, what are we supposed to do with them? Mm. You know, and and that's it's hard for towns, right? There's a lot of people that are adamant that they need to drive absolutely everywhere, and that mm. probably won't change 
yeah. ever. But, you know, we need to make viable options for people who don't want to drive as well, so. I mean, in bigger cities like Vancouver, it's changing a little bit. Because I see a lot of people riding bikes, scooters, their transit system's really good. But there's still a lot of cars on the road. But a lot of them are driving, but they're getting the electric vehicles. Which I heard that's not even that good for the environment. Because mining the lithium for the batteries... For those electric vehicles is worse for the environment. Yeah, and so it's it's pretty much like this whole thing of out of sight, out of mind. I don't see the effects. I don't see the emissions coming out the tailpipe. Therefore, oh, I'm saving the environment. Well, not so fast, you know. All the in- impacts that we just talked about when it comes to having parking, that's not going to disappear when it comes to electric cars. Electric cars mm. are still occupying a parking space. They still need pavement. They yeah. still need all this stuff that's contributing to climate change, as well as the mining of the lithium. So the best option is make it easy for people who don't want to drive to not drive by providing good cycling infrastructure and good walking infrastructure. That's you know making the cycling paths that are direct and making cars go around as an option to make it so that cycling is the fastest route from point A to point B, not driving, or, mm. you know, giving buses priority signals and priority lanes so that taking the bus is faster than driving. Yeah. I also think if um, Elon Musk put his energy into developing self-driving buses or electric buses, you could have buses running all the time. Yeah, and th- and that's, that's a great thing, but, you know, so it's far from going to happen, and... and you know, we don't necessarily need self-driving buses. It's a good source of employment for people. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone driving in their private cars. Well, it's good for auto ma- uh, manufacturers, sure. But a lot of the cars are manufactured overseas. And the ones that are manufactured in the U.S., well, or Canada, it's, I mean, some are, but it's somewhat limited. I mean, there's the, res- there's the um, repair shops but again that's kind of you're gonna have repair shops with buses that may need to be serviced even potentially more regularly than an average car so you're still gonna have those jobs they're just gonna look a bit different Mm. then we're also gonna talk about you know um the fact that um like highways and um, freeway expansions, and it makes cities less inviting to people that are not in a car or that people who, you know, if you have a freeway in your downtown, it's designed, you know, your downtown should be a place for people, not for cars. And so making, having just downtown freeways doesn't always make sense. You, you're trying to, you want people to be, out on foot and exploring your downtown, not just driving through at a high speed. So there's a lot we can learn. There's a lot we can do better. Um, nowhere obviously does these things perfectly. It's all a learning curve. It's all, you know, try something out, build something. Like, you know, here we had Metro Drive. People were complaining a lot. They were protesting, oh, I don't like the bike lane. Oh, the road is too narrow. But then... Now that's been in place for a while, I think people are starting to warm up to the idea. They see that my car does fit on this road, and I can still drive here, but it's much safer for people cycling with the dedicated cycling, raised cycling path. Mm-hmm. So, 
I think that it's not about taking away people from driving. It's making sure that other modes of transportation are given the same investment and, you know, people are given an option to use something different that isn't driving. If everyone is required to drive because the bus is too far of a walk from your house, the store is too far to walk, you can't cycle because there are no paths and you have to bike on the busy road or there's mm. it's even illegal because it's all highways or that is not a free market system. That is a thing that is forcing you. It's monopolizing driving. It's making it the only option mm. that you have. So is that something that you want in a country that's supposed to be based on the freedom to choose? You're kind of forcing people to take something that they might not even want and that's also going to be, like, in my opinion, increasing the amount of road rage and traffic uh, accidents because people are driving who arguably shouldn't be and they're driving or don't want to be and are careless or, you know, mm. and that's... should Is that a society that we want to live in where everyone has to drive or do we want people to get the exercise? You know, we, we know that walking and cycling or even taking transit is better for our health, right? You know, we're exercising, like, that's, that makes sense, right? If we're in our cars, we're, we're sitting down. If we're out walking, we're, we're moving, we're getting exercise. We're, you know, if we're biking, we're, we're getting exercise. So, isn't that a society that's healthier and, you know, um, you, if you've been to any city in North America, you're going to see the, just the endless streams of drive through restaurants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like... People like their fast food, but that is that culture of drive-through is an auto-oriented development where people are just too. I mean, there is valid reasons for drive-throughs. Don't get me wrong. Like people with disabilities and so on have a valid reason to go to the drive-through, but the average citizen, most people, outside of a very small percentage of people, can physically park their car and walk into the store without needing to go, to idle, causing pollution and causing spillover traffic on the neighboring streets mm. with the drive-through. And then again, then we also are going to talk about how we have a lot of malls here in Nanaimo. If you want to walk to a mall in order to get to the entrance, well, you have to walk across huge parking lots that are often unsafe for walking with lots of traffic. No. Why haven't we as a society just decided let's build the storefront entrances right up to the road and have the and then have the parking lots in behind so that anyone walking though they can just be walking along the sidewalk and then into the store instead of having to cut all the way across the parking lot to get to the store risking their own lives this isn't even going to cost the store any more money really because they're just going to be parking in behind drivers might have to walk a few extra feet for the average citizen again we're there, it's minor inconvenience, minor compared to the amount that it will save the people who are walking and cycling. And there's there are accommodations for people in, in in wheelchairs and with mobility issues. We can we can work that kind of stuff out. You know, we can add an entrance at the back of the store where the parking lot is and have one in the front, for example, or yeah. provide ramps or you know whatever that may be to be able to allow and maybe even improve the life of those people with disabilities at the same time as making 
all people have better access to that store mm-hmm. and easier uh, time going through, you know, that's, that makes sense to me, but who knows? I don't have any experience in planning. This is just for me watching, you know, different YouTube channels. I've been, got a lot of this information from uh, Strong Towns as well as Not Just Bikes. So if you want to check those places out, it's kind of cool to see what mm. kind of thing. And then that's also my opinion has been integrated into this. But I mean, not all of this is based on my opinion. A lot of it's from what I've uh, been watched on uh, other YouTube channels like Strong Towns and Not Just Bikes. Um, yeah, I think more bike lanes would be a good idea. You'll get Victoria that have a bike lane connecting from the um, greater Victoria area to the downtown Victoria area. You can go all the way from Lankford to downtown Victoria, which is really cool. Like, we don't really have that. We have nothing really. It's harder for someone to get from Cedar, for example, to downtown Nanaimo. Yeah, like if, say, you wanted to get from Cedar to downtown Nanaimo, well, pretty much you can't. Mm-hmm. You could. It's just really dangerous. Cedar Road, you're going to be biking along the edge of a wide road with fast-moving vehicles, frequent semi-truck traffic and mm-hmm. because of the dump, um, and you know sharp corners where people can't see if there's a cyclist there, loud and frequent traffic. Once you get off of Cedar Road, you're going to get dumped onto a highway where the Trans-Canada enters Nanaimo, and there's no sidewalks or shoulders or anywhere for, for cyclists to really be there. There's 70 kilometer an hour speed limit, and there's cars turning and that's not an environment for cyclists like people may cycle there because they don't have a choice Mm. but people if they had a choice they're going to drive their car you know like they're not going to we have in Nanaimo here we have the ENN trail network and the parkway trail network which are both which are both really good um, cycling paths the problem that we have here in Nanaimo with those paths is that unless you live like right on those paths, yeah, it's hard to bike to them. And a lot of the Yunnan Trail and is surrounded by land use that, in my opinion, isn't conducive to biking. You've got a lot of car dealerships, a lot of self storage lockers, a lot of industrial stuff that people aren't biking to. So, again, if you're having a trail like that, it's important that you have, you know, businesses that people want to go to and housing along that route, not just a bunch of car dealerships and storage lockers. And, I mean, there is some, and it, the e and Trail is one of the, is the most used um, cycling route in the city. So, it, it obviously is doing well, mm-hmm. but not as well as it could be if we reinvented our land use around these trails and the other thing is it's hot i mean i personally have been biking on the Yunnan trail quite a few times this summer and it gets really hot there is no shade anywhere it's wide open and it's not a particularly scenic view it's following right along between a highway and a train track and there's no trees there's a bit of dead grass in the median and it's kind of filled with garbage and it's it's not the nicest place to to cycle so that also plays a role. Where is the cycling? Is it a nice bike ride? Is it a nice walk? Or is it just 
you know, you're just doing it because you have to. People want to walk in nice environments. And people who are walking care more about what the outside looks like. Mm. I mean, that's just my opinion. Because if I'm driving, I'm not really seeing what's going by. Like, if the if the side of the road is littered with garbage, I'm not really going to see it that much because I'm driving really fast. I'm not mm. really going to care that much. If I'm walking, I don't want to be stepping over broken glass and yeah. needles and all kinds of other just junk I'm going to want to be walking on a nice place with you know greenery and trees and that kind of thing so that might influence my decision to drive or walk as well so but again other people probably have a different opinion but Mm -hmm. you know we're getting quite controversial here you know we're talking about a lot of political stuff and people have different opinions but you know we still a lot of this makes sense to me, so that's just my opinion from the research I've been doing and the videos I've been watching, talking about how cities here do need to rethink. So, see what what do you think, Logan? I think we need more bike lanes and think in regards to the highway. Some bike bridges would be nice. So instead of you being right beside the highway, you can just if you need to go somewhere across, you can go over. Not even worry and not even disrupt traffic. Like we've had a couple of those in Nanaimo, like um, bridges to go over the highway mm-hmm. to the other parts, which is helpful because then you're not disrupting traffic for a crosswalk or anything. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that that is the point of a pedestrian bridge is to most people who are crossing would rather if i'm a cyclist or i'm a pedestrian i'm gonna rather cross at grade level i don't want to really walk up a giant ramp across a bridge and back down Mm. when i could just walk directly across the street so i think this is kind of a car-centric approach to thinking about it where we're trying to inconvenience cars the least so we're our goal is to keep cars moving as much as possible which is discouraging people from using other modes of transportation. It's not to say that pedestrian bridges are bad. There are good examples of ones that are necessary. But I, don't, I think that just providing safer crossings at the street, at lights, or in between crossings is a better thing to do for a lot less cost rather than building you know, these expensive overpass bridges for... Mostly the benefit of people who are driving. Mm. That's my opinion, but um, again, there's there is pros, some pros to it. Like you said, like you're removing if you're, if you, it, it, but it's going to take those cyclists and pedestrians a lot more time to climb up the bridge over and then walk down because oftentimes you have to walk your bike because they're too narrow to bike, right? Yeah. Um. Some people are afraid of heights. The noise tends to be worse from my experience being on them. So you're getting a lot more noise because you're above as the noise is rising. Mm. You're also getting the pollution from the cars going up a bit more because, you know, pollution, the, the, the CO2 coming out of the exhaust is rising up. Yeah. It's not really blowing to the side too much. It's mostly going up. So you're getting more of the pollution coming from the from that. So... I mean, there's advantages of it. There's places where it's literally not practical to build a, uh, you know, have a safe pedestrian crossings and keep efficient vehicle traffic. 
a good example would be in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Boulevard and Tropicana, where you the, the intersection is just too wide. There's too many pedestrians. You couldn't build. You, you it wouldn't be safe. You'd have to have too long of cycles, and traffic would be too bad, and it wouldn't even be safe for pedestrians. So there are times where a pedestrian bridge is really good, but I think for the most part. They should be tried to, to be limited and mm. be used in areas where they make the most sense. Like, for example, crossing freeways, um, highways that are don't have traffic signals, um, where there's m- too many lanes to cross in an efficient amount of time, um, that kind of thing. Or even, like, rail uh, crossings, if there's extremely frequent trains um, going there, like, ri- really wide rail yards or stuff like that, pedestrian bridges make a lot of sense. Mm. They don't necessarily make too much sense for a two-lane, uh, or, you know, four-lane, because there's two in each direction, road that has traffic signals. We don't really need to build them there. No. doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you can, but that's, in my opinion, not what you're wanting to do. But mm-hmm. but then people go fast on highways. People blow red lights all the time. That's kind of the safety concern I was thinking of, of crosswalks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is definitely that safety concern. But I think that that's drivers. They're driving a metal box that weighs thousands of pounds, right? Mm-hmm. They, if they're blowing red lights... They shouldn't have a driver's license if they've done it enough times. Yeah. If they're if they're endangering people, that you know, it, it that's their fault. So it, it makes sense, you know. Crosswalks. If it's a really high volume pedestrian intersection with high speeds, that makes sense. But in my opinion, we should be trying to avoid conflict points like that where we have high volumes of pedestrians wanting to cross roads of high speeds. Mm-hmm. So that's why we should have lower speed limits in town where there's conflicts with pedestrians and cyclists. Mm. You know, be, that, that, that makes sense to me, but it does. There's a safety concern there. That's a valid, that's a very valid point on why we should build. But that just means that instead of investing in the huge bridge, we should be investing in making that intersection safer. Controls to prevent drivers from running red lights, like red light cameras to catch them if they run a red light, for example, yeah. could be used. Or, um, you know, traffic calming measures if it's a big, bit, really busy street, like narrowing the lanes right before the light so that people are encouraged to drive slower through the intersection. Mm. Or other measures that may, like, um, you know, warning flashing lights before the intersection so drivers know to stop and slow down before they reach oh, the intersection so that they're not just oh I didn't like I'm just cruising along here at 70 right and if the if there's a flashing light warning me to slow down well I might slow down before I get to the light but otherwise I might the, my stopping distance is too great I won't be able to stop so I'll just blow right through the light yeah so those kind of measures I think and then trying to come up with ways to reduce the crossing distance for anyone walking mm. so that they you know, they're not having to walk as far across the street. So whether that may be in some cities, I think they provide islands in the center that are wide enough and have trees planted on them for people to wait. 
could be an option if the crossing is really far or whatever. But the general is trying to make the pedestrian crossings short as possible in streets that have lower speed limits in general to make sure that all road users are safe. I mean, pedestrians should, shouldn't should have to be inconvenienced in order to stay safe on the road, right? By having, you know, if they have to climb up the overpass and, and, and go over, that's, you know, that can take five or ten minutes in some in some of them, right? Yeah. They're, we need to just make sure that the roads are safe for all, all users. And I think that... Um... Victoria does that really well. They have very safe crosswalks for their trails to go downtown on yeah. bikes and walking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of thing that we, we need to see more of. More emphasis on safety because, we know, drivers... We know that it, it, pedestrians, if, we, if there's an accident between a pedestrian and a vehicle, well, who's go- the, the, the pedestrian is going to suffer worse outcomes... You know, they're more likely to die as a result of being hit by a car. Yeah. So, both parties could be responsible, you know, but there has to be some responsibility taken by drivers to try that there's... I can be inconvenienced a little bit in order to ensure the safety of people walking. That, you know, it's not to say I can't drive, but maybe you have to just slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. That seems logical, you know, if, if it's going to save someone's life, you know, we inconvenience people all the time in the name of safety. So that seems logical. Yeah. And then I guess also, um, I guess it's important to decrease the speeds in certain parts, kind of like they do in down. And if you're going downtown on the highway, it turns to 60, then to 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we also, if we're decreasing vehicle speeds, the speed limit isn't necessarily as important as the design of the road. Mm -hmm. So if we want vehicles to drive slow, we need narrow lanes with, you know, stuff that's going to impede people and make them drive slower. Mm -hmm. If we say we have, say you have a, a massive road, right? It's really wide and it's straight lines, high cleared right away. And the speed limit says you're coming along and there's no change in road design, right? You're coming along, the speed limit's been 80 this whole time. You come in here, there's no change in road design, and all of a sudden you hit a sign that says 50. What's the chances that you're actually going to drive 50 in that area? Mm. Virtually none. You're not going to. The road design is telling you to, it's built to a speed. So if we want to decrease the speed limit, we need to change the road design. Add traffic calming if we want to slow it down. If it, we really want to slow people down, raised cr- elevated crosswalks like they have on Front Street. That's slowing vehicles to a certain speed. Narrow, narrower lanes mm. to keep people driving slower. You know, people are going to drive to a speed that feels comfortable to them to drive at. Mm. I know that personally. I'm unlikely to slow down. I'm likely to drive too fast if the road is too wide. So instead of blaming drivers for driving too fast, we need to blame the road design for telling people that it's safe to drive too fast, right? Mm. If we have narrow lanes, people are going to, they're not going to feel comfortable driving fast. Well, that's true, too. Um, also, heads up for slowing down, like we have at one intersection, it says after this intersection, 
it's 60, which is a little bit unsafe because of the, um, why is it right over past the intersection? Mm-hmm. If you're going, that's going to cause an accident just because people are not, it's too quick of a change. So for more well in advance signs that saying up ahead, the speed's going to change. So then people can almost, what I typically do sometimes Depending on the traffic and stuff, I'll slow down a little bit so I'm prepared for when it's going to switch to the speed limit. Not Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to go exactly that speed limit, but I might decrease it by like, you know, a few kilometers an hour just to be closer to Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. I need to be at. Yeah, that that totally makes sense, right? And, you know, we've always designed roads for the convenience of people driving. And we need, we've started realizing that there are other people that need to use these roads other than people in cars. Mm-hmm. People need to walk, you know? Not everyone can afford a car. Yeah. So making sure that, you know, the most vulnerable road users that may not have any other choice other than to walk in dangerous places feel safe and are safe, you know? You know, poor people are way more likely to be walking and, and cycling compared to richer people. Yeah. So that may make they're already at a disadvantage. So we should make sure that that road is equitable and fair for everyone that's using it. It's also the disability community for people who don't maybe don't have the mental capacity to drive or they don't have mm-hmm. the um a, they have like limitations on mm-hmm. and not comfortable driving or yeah, high so anxiety stuff so, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, that makes sense. Like that's why we need to make sure that there are options for people who don't want to drive or can't drive. Mm-hmm. It's not that we need to get rid of cars. It's that we need to build viable alternatives for people who want them. And that's, I think, where we're heading, but it's it's a slow progress. And it, it may take inconveniencing drivers a little bit. But if that means a safer and more fair and more equitable community, then that's what needs to needs to take place in our in our city, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always been that lower income people are uh you know are affected by by all these changes and that's you know we need to do something to help out these people you know everyone in our city deserves to be safe on our streets so that's true um anyways i just realized we just passed the hour mark on the podcast (laughs) i don't know how long these episodes are gonna be but um I think we should maybe wrap it up soon. Sure. <laughs> I think we've been talking for a good amount of time. Mm. Yeah. So lots of points in there. Also, you might have heard a dog barking. It was my dog making her debut. So that might appear in the podcast because I'll just have probably no way to edit it out. <laughs> Unless I edit out that segment, but we'll see. Wow, I think that was a great, a lot of meaningful conversations happening and a lot of stuff yeah. that, you know, you might not think about and, you know give it a thought and if it, if any of the stuff you're saying makes sense well maybe go talk to your local uh, counselor or some or somebody about what you're seeing in your community and but raise your concerns you know a better city doesn't doesn't just start from or a better environment a better eco- and you know all these things like climate change better cities all of it starts with advocacy from you know concerned citizens if you want to see your environment with more green space or safer streets or you know, more trees or less wildfires. Well, start talking. Start making these conversations. And 
and having them with people, you know, they're difficult to have. People have differing opinions. That is okay. The important thing is, is that these dialogues are happening and that, you know, municipal figures or uh, politicians are not just guessing at what people want. We need to show them what we want, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's the biggest take home from this message is just have these conversations, you know, talk to people about what you want to see in, in your community and for the environment. Anyways, I think that's going to do it for the podcast. Also, feel free in the comments on YouTube to share your thoughts on this, as well as other topics and segments and ideas you have for me for this podcast to be successful. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, turn on bell notifications, and like this uh, podcast if you enjoyed it. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, um, hit that follow button. It just shows your support to us, and um, it just means a lot to see um, interactions. So yeah, anyways, I'll see you in the next one. Peace.